Um, if you have a uh, Bible, I'd like to follow along. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, we'll look at verses 17 to 34 this morning. Um, we're going to just focus in on the Lord's Supper. I mean, the Lord's table is laid out before us, as you can see. Um, we, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together a little later this morning. And, um, and you know, if you are a regular attender at Redeemer Church, you understand uh, that uh, we celebrate the Lord's Supper monthly, usually the first, usually the first Sunday of the month. But uh, this, and we haven't done this yet. This will be kind of maybe the first time where, you know, the, the, the entire service is focused around the Lord's Supper. It's appropriate for us to do that. Um, uh, from time to time, uh, that that we just you know fully understand and embrace and get the significance of this celebration together. You know, uh, we we have celebrated just recently Christmas, right? And uh, and you know we're not really commanded in the scripture. To celebrate Christmas. I mean, we understand it is the time that we celebrate Christ's birth, His His advent, His coming into this world, and and, and I don't think that's a bad thing for us to celebrate. But we're not even, we're not even commanded in Scripture to celebrate that. But this that we will celebrate today, the Lord's Supper, is commanded by Christ Himself. We are instructed by Him to celebrate this. And, and and so, as much as we enjoy Christmas, and, and as much of a uh, you know, hopefully Christ-centered celebration that is, how much more, so much more, should this celebration be both a celebration and centered upon Christ? So, if you have your Bible, First Corinthians chapter eleven, beginning in verse seventeen. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you have? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. You know, um, this, this passage of Scripture is in the center is so often quoted. You know, in fact, I think the, the, the times in the past here at Redeemer that, I, that I've had the opportunity to lead us in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, uh, I've either read from or quoted those verses there in the middle uh, you know, 20, what is it, uh, yeah, 23 through 26, you know, for I see from the Lord what also I deliver to you, and, and talking about the, the body and the blood, the bread and the cup, you know, and, and that, that is often quoted, but sometimes we ignore or just kind of gloss over what comes before and what comes after concerning the Lord's Supper. And it's interesting that, that what Paul says first to the church at Corinth about the Lord's Supper is is really uh, not a commendation, but a condemnation. In other words, he says, you know, in the following instructions, I do not commend you. In other words, there is a problem with the way they celebrate the Lord's Supper. And Paul's going to point those things out, because there's a danger with the Lord's Supper. I mean, it's a, it is a wonderful and beautiful experience. And we're commanded to do it, but there's a warning that comes along with it. The reality is, we can eat and drink. We can participate in the Lord's Supper in a way that is unworthy. We, we can. We can. We can participate in an unworthy manner. And so, uh, this morning... That's what I like for us to focus on first, is, is sort of the negative. I want us to later look at the positive, but now look at the negative. What is What does it mean to, to celebrate in an unworthy manner? Or maybe the flip side is, you know, how do we celebrate the Lord's Supper in a manner that is worthy, in a manner that it is, that is intended? And I think one of the first things that gets highlighted in this passage of Scripture, is the concept of the Lord's Supper being celebrated and intended for community. I mean, the phrase, come together, appears like five times in that passage that I just read to you. And it's, and it's always in the context of, come together as a church for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. That's the context for come together. In fact... The first verse I read, 17, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order for those who are genuine among you to be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. I mean... Especially that first section of that. There's three come-togethers right there. So the, the Lord's Supper is clearly intended to 
first of all, be celebrated in community. Because it's for the church. The Lord's Supper is for the church. And so when the church comes together, gathers together in community, that's when the Lord's Supper is celebrated. Now I know that there are times that, that, that we serve the Lord's Supper to individuals, especially those who maybe you know, are in a nursing home or at home and bedridden and those kinds of things. And, and I don't think, I, I would not suggest that it's wrong to do that. Um, but that, those are extreme circumstances. You know, that is not the norm. That is not the norm. And when we do serve the Lord's Supper to an individual, it's always so that they might be considered part of the community. That, that's why we do it. We, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, then we go to the nursing home and let that member of our church celebrate, you know, receive the Lord's Supper there so that they can be part of this community that celebrates this supper together. Paul, in writing to the church of Corinth, said, when you come together, there must be divisions among you. That, that's his first complaint against the church of Corinth when it, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, that there were divisions among them. There were factions among them. Not just simply division, but factions. You know, um, that that word faction, I mean, you know, are those that factions, that implies what? Fighting. Warring. Antagonism. You know, not only were there just people who disagreed, but they were antagonistic toward one another. There was a lack of community. Yet, the Lord's Supper is there for us to come together and experience community. And that shouldn't be surprising to us. The Lord's Supper often reminds us personally what Christ has done for us. Right? I mean, you know, when, when, we, when we break the bread and eat that and, and, and drink from the cup, we are reminded of Christ's body, which is broken for me, personally. And we're reminded of Christ's blood that was shed for me, personally, so that I, personally, might experience forgiveness, that pardon uh, and forgiveness of sin. And it's right, but that's, but that's not all. Christ also died... To make a people. You know, Christ's broken body and shed blood, yes, is for your salvation and my salvation, for our forgiveness, but also that we might be one people. That we might be, you know, a royal priesthood and a holy nation and people belonging to God. You know, His own possession. Christ died to make a community of faith, a body of believers. And so, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we celebrate that as well. But think about this, when there's a lack of community, when there are divisions and factions among us, and we are not living together as the body of Christ, and treating one another as the body of Christ, not realizing, when we fail to realize that Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her, we also ought to love the church, love one another. When we fail to do that, we we misrepresent the Lord's Supper. And then, you know, 
Jesus basically talked about loving one another. He, in his condemnation of the, uh, or Paul, I'm sorry, talked about loving one another in his condemnation of the church of Corinth. He said, do you despise the church of God uh, and humiliate those who are in need? You know, the situation was when they gathered together to celebrate, air quotes, the Lord's Supper, because Paul says when you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper. Okay, he already says what you do is not the Lord's Supper. It's what you call it, but that's not what it is. Because when you come together, man, the first guy there, he eats. And he, he's a glutton. I mean, he, he eats up all the bread and he drinks up all the wine. Some of you even get drunk on the wine for the Lord's Supper. And you have no thought about those that are going to come later. You know, and those who come early are probably those who can afford to come early. In the, in the context of the Church of Corinth. Those who had wealth could afford to come to the gathering early. Those who didn't have wealth would have to work later in the day, would have to work longer, and they would get there later, and they, and they had less. And so, those who came early and selfishly gorged themselves on the bread and drank all the wine, completely ignoring the significance of the meal, showed... Disdain for their brothers and sisters in Christ. And they humiliated them by their actions. And Paul says that's not loving one another. In fact, you're showing that you despise the church. The church that Jesus loves and, and gave himself for, you're despising it when you behave that way. When you think of yourself over others. You're despising the church. You're not loving it. You're not loving one another. And the Lord's Supper is about loving one another. We, we acknowledge that because we're acknowledging the love of God in Christ shown to us. And we're also acknowledging that that love of God shown to us in Christ is meant to be shared. In fact, Jesus said... To his disciples, um, in John 13, after they celebrated the first, after Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, Jesus said to them, a new command I give you, love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love in the same way I loved you. Okay, that, that was his command. Love one another in the same way that I have loved you. So, as we celebrate Christ's love for us in this, we also understand the command for us to love one another and understand that it, if we're loving one another, then we're eating and drinking in a manner that is worthy. You know, if we then drop down, oh, um, verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Another way in which we eat and drink in a worthy manner is when we fully embrace the meaning of this meal. He said, for anyone who eats and drinks but doesn't discern the body, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. And, you know, I think there's dual meaning in what uh, Paul said about discerning the body. 
we understand that the bread represents the body of Christ. And certainly, I think that's part of what Paul has in mind when he says, man, if you're going to do this in a manner that's worthy, you've got to understand that we're talking about the body of Christ here. This bread is is a reminder of and symbolic of the body of Christ. And you need to understand that and fully embrace it. And we're talking about the body of Christ here. We're talking about the blood of Christ here. And that is that's that's that is significant. That is it's supreme. It, it is supreme. And if we just if we miss that, we miss everything. If we miss the fact that this is about the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is God. The one who, through whom all things were created and nothing was created that he himself did not create. The one who holds all things together. The one that everything is here for so that he might be seen as preeminent and supreme. That one. His body. His blood. That's what we're talking about. And, and we just have to understand that and not miss that. Or we miss everything concerning the Lord's Supper. And it is in vain. It is eating and drinking judgment upon ourselves if we fail to recognize the significance and embrace the significance of this meal. But also when he says discern the body, what else is called the body? The church. The church is also called the body. And I think that's also in part what Paul has in view, has in mind, when he instructs them about discerning the body. Yes, you need to discern the body of Christ in this meal. That, it's some, that this bread and, and this cup is symbolic of the body and the blood of Christ. And, 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 and all of the importance that that carries with it. But also, again, being reminded that this meal, this celebration is for the body of Christ. It is for the church. It kind of goes back to community and having love for one another. You know, and as we understand that this is the body and the blood of Christ, and this is for the church, then kind of what comes in view is Christ's example and instruction for the church. And and I think kind of infused in all of this talk about fully embracing the meaning of this meal. I think infused in all of that comes with it just living Christ-like. You know, having this mind in us that was also in the Lord Jesus Christ. Following Christ's example of thinking and believing and living. Because if we discern the body in this meal, then we also discern that He is our example. Because we follow Him as our Lord. And therefore, there is a call to live as Jesus lives. But then, also, understanding the body of Christ. This is for the church. Then we begin to think about the instructions for the church. How is the church to function? You know, there is the, the way that the church members of the body relate to one another. So that talks about our relationships and love for one another, but also how we relate together in the using of our gifts 
for the common good. Okay, And then there's also it, the instructions about how the church ministers to and reaches the unbelieving world around us. Okay, So I think all three of those components of instruction for the church are infused in this statement about fully embracing, discerning the body in this meal. So I think also there's a call for us to then, you know, am I relating to my brothers and sisters in Christ? in the way that I ought to as being part of the body of Christ? And am I, am I embracing my giftedness and using that giftedness for the glory of God and the common good, the building of the church? And then am I also involved in the outreach, the outward ministry of this body of Christ? Really, what it comes down to is examination and repentance. Paul calls for it. He says, in verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The fact that the Lord's table is laid out before us calls us to self-examination, to look into our own lives and into our own hearts and see, do I come here today to celebrate this Lord's Supper living in community with my brothers and sisters? Am I exhibiting love for others as I come today? Am I, am I, am I loving as Christ loved? Am I fully embracing the meaning of this meal? In other words, you know, do I, first of all, come with a sense of reverence and awe and thanksgiving for the fact that this meal is a celebration of Christ and what he has done? And we'll kind of get to that more later. But also, am I fully embracing the implications for the body of Christ? My relationship's right with my brothers and sisters? Am I, am I being faithful with the giftedness that God has given by his spirit? To the building up of the body, am I am I being faithful in the outward ministry of this uh, of this body, you know? And then the other part of that, repentance. As we self-examine and find, or I guess as we, you know, I don't know if the word self-examination is always. Well, first of all, it's kind of creepy, and then also it just. It's not quite accurate. <laughs> you know, it's not. What we're doing is we're asking God to examine us by the by His Spirit and show us our our failings, our failures, where we're missing it. You know, because the reality is we probably won't see those on our own. <laughs> In fact, I know we won't see those on our own. So we're really asking. God to examine us by His Spirit. But, but once that examining happens and those areas are pointed out, until we repent, we're not eating and drinking in a manner worthy. The implication is that we'll turn from, as those areas are pointed out, we'll turn from them. So if there's a lack of love, it's not enough for me to say, yeah, I have a lack of love, but I, I have to love. If I'm not living in community 
with my brothers. It's not enough for me to say, you know, yeah, I haven't been really living in community. I've got to live in community. I've got to, I've got to repent of the failure, the failing, and, and live in obedience and eat and drink in a manner of this word. And then, I guess, the, the final thing to keep in mind is there's a warning of judgment. Paul says, anyone who eats or drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. In fact, he says, that's why some of you are sick and some of you have died. Because there are some at the church of Corinth who have been eating and drinking who have approached the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And because they've done so in an unworthy manner, they've misrepresented this celebration. Some of them have become sick, ill, and some have even died. That's the warning of judgment for eating and drinking in a manner that's not worthy. I, I, I don't know about you, but that, that's a big deal, guys. That's... I mean, that, that is a serious pronouncement and warning of judgment. And, and that ought to lend some significance and motivation for us to, to allow God to examine us by His Spirit. So I want us to take a, just a pause now and spend some time doing that. Um, I want to encourage us to have just sort of a time of silent confession. I'm, I'm just going to sit down and... We're going to have some quiet for a while. And during that time, uh, you and I will, before the Lord, uh, allow Him to show us our failings and to confess those as sin and to turn from them. You know, um, so far, I've been talking about the Lord's Supper really in relationship to us. You know, um, when we talk about eating and drinking in a manner that's worthy and then self-examination. And and so far, a lot of the, the, the talk this morning has been about you and I. But the Lord's Supper is the Lord's Supper. And it's because it's about Christ. The Lord's Supper is about Jesus. It's, it's His Supper. It's, it, it, he commanded it. He, he instituted it. He gave it all of its meaning. He explained its symbols. And He's commanded us to celebrate it. And He is proclaimed and exalted in it and it is about Him and it is He that we celebrate when we participate. And the only reason we focus on ourselves for a few moments and examine is so that we can honor Him as we participate in it. 
the reason you and I need to eat and drink in a manner worthy is because He is worthy. The Christ whom this suffer is about, He is of infinite worth. And He's infinitely worthy of our submitted, committed, obedient, and repentant hearts and lives celebrating this supper. I just want to make that abundantly clear. Lest you and I somehow think that the Lord's Supper is about us. It's not. The only reason we think about ourselves is to honor Him. That we might come in a manner worthy of this meal. I'd like for us to think about this meal for a few moments. The components. You know, there's the bread. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, quotes Jesus. When Jesus instituted the the Lord's Supper, celebrated it with his disciples, um, he says, Scripture says that he, you know, took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And then he gave it its significance. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, just as the bread is broken apart to be consumed, for it to accomplish its purpose. (laughs) You know, let's face it. The purpose of bread is for us to consume it, to eat it, to be nourished. And so it's got to be broken up for it to accomplish its purpose. And Jesus said, that's my body. To fulfill my purpose in coming to this earth, which was to give my body to be broken, to be crucified on a cross to accomplish its purpose. That purpose is ultimately to glorify the Heavenly Father by being obedient to the Heavenly Father's plan to redeem, to save men and women through Christ's death. For us to be forgiven of our sins because He, Jesus, became sin for us. This would be you know, an opportune moment for me to insert my favorite word. He became our propitiation. Jesus on the cross absorbed all of God's wrath that we deserve. You know why we deserve it, don't you? It's pretty clear. It's sin. The scripture makes it abundantly clear. Communicates it a number of ways. But it ultimately comes down to this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that sinned, that sort of past tense, and fall short, that's sort of this, you know, continuing tense, you know, imperfect. Is that right, Susan? Imperfect, is that the continuing? Yeah, okay, imperfect tense. In other words, 
It's not just that we're guilty of sin by association. That's true. Just because we're human, we've sinned, because we sinned in Adam, and there's this, you know, whole theological concept that, that comes with that, but because we are human, we've sinned in Adam, because he's the head of our race, okay? Yeah. Um, but there's also the fact that we, in our actions continue to fall short of God's glory. We continue. It's not just we're guilty because of Adam. That's true. But even if that wasn't true, we'd still be guilty because we sin. We commit acts of sin. And the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus willingly, on purpose, and with purpose, and for purpose, Gave his life in our place, in my place, on that cross, absorbed God's wrath, became sin for me, was cursed by God by hanging on that cross. That you and I might be forgiven, that our sins might be cleansed, and that we might be made right with God and put into community with one another. That's what it means for the body of Jesus to be broken. That's the significance of the bread in this meal. But there's also the cup. And the cup, Jesus says, is the new covenant that's in his blood. Do this in remembrance of me. The the cup, the liquid in the cup, reminds us of Christ's blood that was shed for us. And that blood becomes our covering. It covers us. And that's significant because if we go back and look at the Old Testament and the Day of Atonement and, and the mercy seat, you know, over the in the, in the holy of holies, with the you know the which is the covering over the ark and the blood, it's that's all very you know symbolic of of what Christ does. He his blood in mercy covers over our sin, so that when God looks at us, He doesn't see our sin, but He sees Christ's blood. Christ's blood covers us. It covers over our sin, cleanses of our sin. And when God looks at us, if Jesus' blood covers us, if we are, through faith and repentance, clinging to Him and hoping in Him, His blood covers us and God sees the blood of His Son, not our sin. So, that, so when Jesus says the new covenant in my blood, you the old covenant, you know, that, that essentially couldn't be kept. <laughs> you know, the old covenant, which man could not keep, which involved animal sacrifices, continual sacrifices, because animal sacrifices weren't enough to cover over man's sin, and on and on, and now comes Jesus. 
the once-for-all perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and, and as He becomes a sacrifice for us on the cross, His blood is shed, and His blood covers us, and, and as the Scripture tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, and it's Christ's blood that brings the remission and forgiveness, and it covers us. And we're only... We can only be right with God because of the blood of Christ that is shed, that covers us. So the bread is the body which is broken and given for us. The, blood, the, 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 the cup is the blood that is shed that covers us. And that broken body and that shed blood means eternal life, salvation, and community for us. For you and I. And in, in this supper, we remember that. There's remembrance. We are called to remember what Christ has done and accomplished and is doing and will accomplish because of the broken body and the shed blood. Because here's the deal. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So Jesus is still at work in us, but that work is continuing only because of the broken body and the shed blood. So we remember what He has accomplished and has done and is accomplishing and is doing and will accomplish and will do in us. We, we are reminded, we remember, we meditate on that. And then, in so doing, there's proclamation. Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Because the memorial of this meal, the symbolism in the Lord's Supper of the bread and the cup, every time we do that, we proclaim to all who view that the Lord's death. Because because we understand its significance and we embrace it. We are saying to all present, Jesus, a real person, man, who is also God and Savior, <laughs> suffered and died so that you might live, repent and believe. It's true that this Lord's Supper is for believers, for Christians, to, to, to participate in, but praise be to God when unbelievers watch us participate in it. Because the Lord's death is proclaimed. We proclaim it to ourselves and it's proclaimed to them. And But there's also anticipation. It says, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Present in this bread and in this cup is the promise the promise and hope that Christ will return. And you know what? When, when we eat and drink, we proclaim the Lord's death, yes, but we proclaim it knowing and with anticipation that He will come. Because when He comes, <laughs> we won't need to proclaim it anymore. <laughs> you know? Because it will be finished. 
And so there's this sense of anticipation, longing for Christ's return and assurance of that promise. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper with anticipation, we also look to and long for His return. And then, finally, we worship. The reason we do this, we celebrate this in community during our corporate worship time, is that it's an act of worship. Because we're exalting and praising and giving glory and honor to Christ when we celebrate this meal. Because we're remembering and proclaiming and anticipating. And that's worship. Because He is exalted. And hopefully there's this sense of, you know, and desire to praise Him as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So, um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And so here, here's what we'll do in just a moment. Um, uh, we'll invite you to come up. And Caleb, if you want to go ahead and come on up and prepare to assist me. And, and we'll have the bread and the cup. And we'll be standing right here. And just invite you to come up and, and tear a portion of bread off. Uh, and then dip it into the, the, the cup. And then put your hand under it like that. And just go back to your seat. And then we'll all eat together. Um, just because this is something that we do in community, so we want to do it together. So, we invite you now to come forward and receive and celebrate the Lord's Supper.